So welcome back to the podcast of the Royal New Zealand College of Urgent Care. My name is Guy Melrose and today I'm joined once again by our Director of Clinical Training, Dr. David Sorrell. Dave, welcome back. Thank you. So um, we're going to talk about appendicitis today, Dave, but specifically in kids. And appendicitis is one of those diagnoses, and I think I've mentioned it in, in the past on the podcast, that I am happy... I'm not happy, but I'm I'm comfortable with referring erroneously when it favours the, the the patient. So I would rather send a child in thinking it might be appendicitis for it not to be than to send somebody home and for it to be appendicitis and for them to rupture at home and become very sick. So I always sort of have that kind of approach in the back of my mind when I'm thinking about what do I do in this particular case. But... In assessing a kid for appendicitis, it can be tricky in that they're not adults, they're not fully grown, they don't tend to give us a history quite the same as, as an adult. And um, yeah, so, so what's your approach to appendicitis in general with kids? What, how do you sort of, um, what are your thoughts on appendicitis as a kind of a presentation in general in urgent care? I think that appendicitis is especially in children is a hard diagnosis to be certain about and you just kind of have to risk stratify and for a very long time I've been doing a test myself which many of you may be familiar with and may call all sorts of things and for me I call it the jump test so last week I decided to do some research to see if anyone else used this test or there was any research into it and I found this very interesting article of course that I sent across to you which uses basically what I do to help sort of risk stratify the young child with abdominal pain and and reading it was quite reassuring Um, and in, in my experience with appendicitis is I don't remember the surgeon who I talked to several years ago, but they told me that uh, a doctor missing appendicitis uh, is, is, is normal, but, and we don't like to miss diagnoses. But he actually said to me that if you haven't missed appendicitis, you just haven't seen enough patients. Uh, and that's, that I found quite telling. Because it is tricky... And I think back on cases that have I, I've seen that have had appendicitis. They don't always present the same. They don't present with the same presenting symptoms. They don't examine the same. Right? I, I, I've seen um, patients whose onset of pain and having peritonism was about two or three hours, rather than the classic twenty-four hours migrating from central to right iliac fossa and all this kind of stuff. I've had some people who have been off food as the book would say, but others who are still eating fine. I've had people who have had a kind of um, diarrhea-type symptom alongside it, and you think, oh, could it be gastro? Uh, you know, some people who vomit, some some people who are feverish, some people bloods are normal, and then others. And, and, and so it's all a bit of a, a mixed picture sometimes. And so I often find I'm putting lots of different things together, and one of which I've always used is, is the hop test, and you call it the jump test. So it was very interesting when you sent this paper through, and it um, comes out of Greece, but it was um, published in the Global Pediatric Health Journal in 2019, and um, I'm afraid my Greek is not good enough to pronounce the names of the authors. I'm very sorry that they're, 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 um, 
but they've uh, named the article the jumping up brackets J up test making the diagnosis of acute appendicitis easier in children and that was published September the 16th 2019 and we'll link to to it in the show notes for people to read so what did this show you and does it support your the way you've been investigating or working up kids with now obviously this uh, test is is used in the emergency department but I think that it's a very simple test to do in the community. They do uh, do the, the jump up test with uh, the test al- alongside uh, facial expressions and then they look at blood tests and ultrasound. But I think what we could concentrate on is on that, that one uh, element, the jump up test. Now I don't uh, do what they advocate here which is to hold a toy out of the reach of the child. I just get the child to either um, jump twice or to jump off the little stool that's next to the bed. And, and I quite like the double jump because children will dump, jump once, but to see them jump twice tells you that there's no sort of internal peritonism. And that I tell the parents that this is, this is the jump test and that it's um, their go-home test. And if they can do it successfully, they're almost certainly going to go home. And if they can't do it successfully, they're almost certainly going to go into hospital. And then they can have blood tests or an ultrasound if, if available. And for us where I work, it's particularly important because um, really you're talking two different hospitals. The local emergency department is Middlemore and then further down the road, the surgical hospital is Starship. Uh, it's quite a, a bit of a longer trip uh, all the way down to Starship. And it depends who you talk to at the local emergency department, whether they're happy to do a scan and bloods and things. But but I find it a, a particularly good, for me, it's definitely the negative predictive value of this test that I find very, very useful. So you're just asking the patient to stand on the ground and hop twice on one leg, two legs, what's the... Two legs is fine with me. I try that first and the most cooperative children will do that. If they've, they're uncomfortable to do that, I get them to stand on the little plinth that's about six inches off the ground and jump off that and often holding the parent's hand. Uh, but it, it's almost every child you can convince to do this test. Whereas palpating the abdomen, often children will scream and yell and, and you really just don't get anywhere. And I've abandoned palpating the abdomen oh, several times even in the last week. And you mentioned the step, that's how I tend to do this. I tend to, the child is on the bed and then I get them to step onto the little step up and then hop down from that as the final bit of my examination. And I always approach it as, if I think this person has appendicitis, then the final hop just gives me the, the that final bit of information. But it, a negative test at that point, if I'm already thinking of it, probably doesn't change my opinion. But it's it's a nice cherry on the cake for the referral because I'll then say, look, then the hop positive. But also if I'm thinking this person hasn't got appendicitis, they're, they're not reacting when I press on their tummy, they're not, there's no peritonism when I percuss their abdomen, um, did all the various different things, and then they hop and they, they just jump straight down, no pain, and carry on, they look great. Then for me it's the cherry on the going home cake, so I kind of use it as, as the cherry on the cake. Um, in this particular test, they um, 
If I read from the abstract, we evaluate a new clinical test, a jumping up test, to diagnose easier appendicitis in children. 407 patients between 5 and 16 with right lower quadrant abdominal pain were asked to jump, rising uh, both hands and uh, trying to reach a toy hanging down from the ceiling of the examination room. So it's this kind of jumping up to reach for something as a kind of a distraction. Um, and so, so this was different to how you do it, and it's different to how I utilize it. But the same, it's the same working theory is that you're making your abdominal contents go up and down. So if there's any peritonism in there, it'll go ow, and the child will either not do it or, or look uncomfortable when they land. Um, so I guess that was one thing I thought when I read that is that if you've got a kid who's got a nasty tummy, how easy is it going to be to get them to stand in the middle of the room and jump up at a toy? And how easy is it going to be to make them cooperate with that? So I, I was not sure about that part of this particular study. Yeah, and, and it does have, it does that test alone has a negative predictive value of 86%, which is pretty good as a first off test. We have a lot of other tests that don't have that good a negative predictive value. And we must remember that children are not the same as adults. If they're in pain, they become uncooperative. If they're stressed, they're uncooperative. And, and they may not like being in the doctor's office at all. Um, and I do remember doing a review of the literature several years ago now, probably more than 20 years ago, for, um, for medical legal research uh, when I used to do a little bit of that. Uh, and they do say that children often present with uh, uh, peritonism and appendix rupture. And so I think the, the number, don't quote me on this, was nearly 30% will present with rupture. Um, and so you, you want to be making the diagnostic as accuracy, accurate as possible. Um, and I know I did miss one appendix 22 years ago, so I always remember that case and wonder how I could have done it better, but I, I don't think we always get 100%. So in this particular paper, they also went on to use blood markers, which I think when we were chatting about this offline, we both agreed we probably wouldn't be using bloods routinely in, in, the, in our particular settings in kids. Um, maybe different in adults, but certainly in kids, we're maybe not using using that as a determinant of whether we refer for an opinion or not. And so, how did the bloods tie in with this particular study? Well, the the bloods uh, are used to to again risk stratify, and and it is very interesting because uh, what we do know about appendicitis is that there's no test that excludes appendicitis. There's nothing you can do that can be 100% certain. And I think it's the same with other conditions such as irritable hip and limping child that you kind of risk stratify and, and some some things are higher predictors. This, this is pretty good. I mean, it gives you most of the information. You're only gonna get like 9% more negative predictive value once you've got a full blood count and a CRP and, and, and the neutrophils. So, so most of the information we can get um, just within seconds. Um, it's like watching work of breathing with young kids. Uh, it tells you a lot of information uh, and you don't even have to touch the child. So um, you, could, you could presumably, you could even do this over a, a, a teleconsult, although I don't do teleconsults. But it is one of those things, uh, and it's one of the things that I ask the parents if they're still worried. You know, you can do this at home as well, and if you think it's worse, we're going to change the plan. And sometimes they've done it inadvertently by the drive-in 
over a bumpy road, the report will be, oh, they were holding themselves whilst we were going over all these bumps and speed bumps and everything. So they've sort of been having a peritoneal test en route in the car. Um, but as you say, it is really just one of those things that we can use. But a, a, a sensitivity of 87%, specificity of 70%. It's quite a, um, it's just a very, as you say, simple, um, we're not saying you should hang something from the ceiling and get them to jump, but in your case, just jumping up off, off the floor, in my case, hopping down off the off the step. Uh, very simple, very easy, and it just helps to solidify, in my mind, yay or nay, in terms of my suspicion and need to refer. Um, what I found interesting looking at this was that of the 407 patients with the right lower quadrant pain, 190, which was 46%, actually had appendicitis. 69 had mesenteric lymphadenitis. 68 were diagnosed with non-specific abdominal pain. 54 patients with viral enteritis. 10 had a UTI. 6 had terminal ileitis. Uh, two had ovarian cyst with torsion. One had ovarian cyst without torsion. There was two meckles, diverticulum, uh, two PID, one fallopian tube torsion, one carcinoid tumor of appendix, and one intrauterine pregnancy. So quite a range of uh, different di- uh, differentials there, but 46% were appendicitis. So um, yeah, I think the... the interesting thing for me with appendicitis is we don't have to be 100% correct that the patient has appendicitis. We kind of have to have the, uh, we have to work out, does this child need an examination with a specialist in the hospital or can they go home? That's our sort of, you know, refer or not refer. And if we refer thinking it's appendicitis, but it turns out to be a ovarian cyst with torsion, well, it's still a necessary referral at the end of the day. So um, in all of these cases, they, they apart from the non-specific abdominal pain, you could argue as being not particularly significant. The rest are all diagnoses that uh, are worth making in the hospital. So, yeah. and, and as a matter of fact, I've got a nice little information sheet about uh, mesenteric adenitis, which I often give to parents if I'm sending them to the hospital and saying, look, they might tell you it's this condition, but then they might not tell you what it is. So here's some information to read if they send you home. Uh, and I think patients appreciate that because they're, when the doctor's saying, I think it's mesenteric adenitis, they can just open up their leaflet and say, oh, yes, I, I see what you're talking about now. Yeah, because it isn't a failure. I think that that's the important message. If you refer someone to hospital and a specialist works them up and sends them home with a different diagnosis, it, it's not really a failure unless you're re- referring every child with with an abdominal pain to hospital. Um, but we are that filter that is filtering the five million people in this country down to secondary care and tertiary care trying to ensure as few of them go as possible but also we don't want to miss the ones who do need to be in secondary care so the idea of um, sending somebody and then them having a different diagnosis I think is worth mentioning to in this case the parent and saying I'm referring thinking you've got appendicitis however I may be wrong and it may be one of these other diagnoses but we need we need to involve a specialist to make that call because if I was to send you home and it was appendicitis, then that can be a negative outcome. So it's quite, I quite like the idea that you're preempting them. You, you're saying, look, this is a possible differential, but and here's the information because it it does um, kind of highlight the risk and the and the you know 
but all the different considerations we take into account when we're referring you know how far are the patients live from hospital you know what are their transport modes you know all of these kind of other little variables that go into you thinking actually I'm not happy about this kid it might be the way they look it might be just the the, the story there might be something but um the hop test or what do you call it the jump test jump uh, test for uh, me and they call it the jump up jump test. up test um whatever whatever the, the, the test it's just another way for us to gather information to compute through our brains and then decide what, what to do um so your your um years of using it are now justified you think by this paper yeah it was, it was actually good because i was just thinking has anyone done a study using this test? Does anyone recognize it? I don't remember where I got it from. And and, uh, and and it's something that you can teach very easily. If you've got a registrar or a student uh, and you, you're talking about pediatric appendicitis, which tummy pain is one of the hardest things, um, here's, here's something that everyone can do and everyone can learn. And, and simplicity is something that I'm very key on. Uh, things like you know the tongue blade test for mandible fractures there must be a simpler way of teaching this and learning this and that's what we should emphasize in our teaching as well as our training absolutely and important obviously to recognize this isn't a one test to rule them all it is a one of a number of things that we should use in working up a, a patient so it's i'm sure there will be cases of a negative hop that you would still refer in because there are other parameters that you, you know the child might be vomiting with a high fever and you know there's something else just not right so um yeah so I, it's important for people not to think of things as black and white it's like if this it's this and if this is this it's like if this it could be this and it supports my diagnosis for this because i've also got these other factors and um, but as you say, the elegance of you know biting on a, a tongue depressor for a mandible fracture or just hopping like this is um, I like those sort of sim- simplicity approaches that, that um, and, and people like yourself who have sort of gathered these over the years in your in your armament, you know your your little um, box of tricks. So yeah, it's worth sharing with everybody. So um, the paper, as I mentioned. Um, is linked in the show notes. Uh, it's worth having a little read through and um, maybe chatting at, at a peer group. But thank you, Dave, for drawing our attention to it and chatting about it. No problems. <laughs>